listening to the Impact Interviews from the Martin Agency. Join us as we explore fresh ways to break through the noise, impact culture, and shape the future of advertising. In today's episode, Martin's Chief Strategy Officer, Michael Chapman, sits down with Dr. Daryl Sue, Professor of Psychology at Columbia University. Dr. Sue's groundbreaking work focuses on the psychology of racism, the lived realities of people of color, and the microaggressions experienced every day by minorities and marginalized groups. He is widely considered the most influential multicultural scholar in the United States. Dr. Daryl Wing Sue, a professor of psychology and education at Columbia University. I just got the pleasure and privilege of hearing you speak, and um, not only was I super impressed by obviously the work you've done, but the passion with which you deliver it is truly um, inspiring and a, a, a reminder to all of us that uh, when you have conviction, you know, you can bring a lot of people mm-hmm. along with you. So thank you for being here. Well, I'm pleased to be here. Yeah. Um, I just hope my I hope my voice holds out. That's true. <laughs> this is, this is uh, 10 minutes on the back of, a, of an hour and a half or so. Um, but, you know, just so everybody gets a sense of um, what it is that you really are passionate and, and convicted about, tell us about what you study in terms of racism and unconscious bias, implicit and explicit um, and, and, and what it means to you. And, you know, you talked a little bit about this, but why is it important now, but also why is it important to you? Well, you know, uh, implicit bias, or what I call microaggressions, have always been uh, important. It's just a matter that uh, we've come up with research and studies and a language to describe what microaggressions are. And microaggressions are the um, uh, for listeners and, and viewers, the everyday slights and dignities, put-downs and insults that people of color and other marginalized group members experience in their day-to-day interactions with well-intentioned individuals who are unaware, really, that they are engaging in a, a damaging, uh, offensive behavior towards marginalized um, uh, group members. And it's important because what we find is that contrary to the thoughts that everyone have, that it's the overt racist, the bigot or the skinhead that is most harmful to um, uh, people of color, it isn't. It's the ordinary citizens, the uh, teachers, the employers, the neighbors who um, are unaware that they harbor biases and their actions and behaviors really are quite damaging and harmful. Yeah, I was reading that the the, the idea of microaggressions came about in the 60s, I think. Yes. Um, but it's obviously taken on over your career and certainly now maybe more than ever uh, more importance. Um, why, do you, why do you think that is? Well, you know, the, when Charles Pierce, who was the African-American uh, individual at Harvard who coined the phrase microaggressions and who did the original studies uh, on it, uh, when he published it, people didn't respond to it. In fact, I believe that he was the object of microaggressions himself in which they thought that his uh, work was um, uh, trivial and uh, opinions and not based upon uh, science. The reason why I think it began to take off 
was that the United States has achieved now a critical mass of people of color. And in 2007, when we uh, developed the taxonomy of what microaggressions are and supported it through um, uh, really research, it resonated with um, many people of color and really began to be uh, uh, applied to uh, women, to people with disabilities, to uh, LGBTQ individuals who also stated that they were uh, subjects of uh, microaggressions as well. So it created a language um, in which people could describe their experiences, and it took off. In fact, um, two years ago, Merriam-Webster Dictionary included the uh, term microaggression in the uh, in the dictionary, and there are now something like twenty thousand studies on it that have come out since uh, two thousand and seven. It almost seems like it took. It's surprising that it took that long. Yes. Um, um, the uh, you you talked about um, earlier this idea of false consensus, um, which is when um, the person who is uh, making a microaggression feels like, or even an explicit uh, aggression feels like everyone around them has the same point of view, so there's some sort of false sense of it's a safe place to say something pretty horrible. Um, how does that translate into the social media environment? I mean, do you? I mean, are those microaggressions, or is that allowing us to be even no, more it explicitly? No, it is. Micro, they are microaggressions, and in our studies, we find that people seem freer to engage in uh, deliberate, conscious microaggressions under two conditions. Uh, One, when they're out of control, when they're drinking, when they get angry, um, they explode with racial epithets and sexist uh, comments. The other one is that when they believe that others around them support and believe in it. In fact, if you look at all these incidents of uh, racist behavior among fraternities, um, many of the people in fraternities feel that it's safe uh, and they will not be punished for uh, engaging in overt forms of, of, of racism or bias. But it's important that we separate out um, the explicit, conscious, deliberate uh, uh, you know, racist uh, uh, comments and bias from those that are less conscious and aware. But when you make it appropriate, and sanction to express overtly the implicit um, uh, covert forms also get expressed uh, uh, in a higher rate and frequency. Mm-hmm. And do you think the anonymity of the internet is also a factor? It, it can, certainly is. Yeah. You know, I write a, a blog uh, for psychology, psychology Today, and um, the amount of um, you know, racist comments that are directed towards the ideas and towards me as a uh, Asian American has increased. Anonymity is something that really fosters, um, uh, lowers accountability and, and people doing it. And for some reason, the internet um, uh, avoids this personal connection. I was reading that. You know, Twitter, Facebook, um, a, a few of them are starting to address these things as their problems, like the negativity of Twitter. Mm-hmm. But in actuality, it's yeah. just the 
the unvarnished negativity of, yeah. the, of society um, and anonymity. But See, the, the Internet can also be a valuable tool. Um, that's one of the things that we have found out, that uh, among people of color, we're able to communicate with one another, and we know that we're not alone, that there are many of us who believe in uh, very much the same thing. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, that speaks a little bit of the power of communication, the power yes. of people. Um, oftentimes in this business, advertising, you know, our goal is to impact culture, right? To actually mm-hmm. have um, mostly, hopefully, a positive impact on culture to get people talking and to get, um, you know, buzz around the, the products and services and ideas that we have. However, as I said, it's for good or for bad. What role do you think um, the advertising world has to play in this in this world of? Um, uh, I think social? a major one because advertisement is a form of communication about your products. And if you look at um, the what I talked about earlier, the changing demographics, not only is a work workforce changing, but the customer base is also changing. Uh, And what we know is that um, the gross, you know, if you look at the the marketplace, um, a lot of people call it the minority marketplace, but if you uh, look at the um, uh, people of color in terms of as the customer uh, base that you're trying uh, to reach, it equals the gross domestic product of Canada. So financially, it really is very important about how you communicate with the changing uh, characteristics and uh, racial ethnic groups that are present. But uh, additionally, it's important for uh, productivity within the work site yeah. um, that people respond differently. Uh, black workers, um, uh, immigrants, um, uh, Asians, Native Americans, women, men, all respond differently um, uh, to the rules and regulations about what constitutes a, a desirable uh, workplace. And if you have a workplace that is not multicultural in its orientation, you really alienate a, a significant number of workers who could add to the productivity of the company itself. I mean, if we're create, there's two things. One is, um, you know, I think oftentimes the images that we put out there are f- help normalize behavior, yes. good or bad. And I yes. think it's much more about having a conscious decision to say, I want to normalize the behavior I want to see mm-hmm. versus, or the normalize the people that I want to see. That's um, yeah. Versus the baby, and it's I a agree. conscious choice and we don't make yeah. it enough. Yeah. Um, the other thing you were talking about, I think is right, which is the people that are creating the work are multicultural and diverse and inclusive, then the work itself will naturally be that mm-hmm. way. That's naturally only if the, um, company has uh, programs, policies, and practices that are multicultural because it really doesn't matter if you have a diverse workforce if the um, policy and practice of an organization is monocultural in a space. And that's really uh, something that I didn't get a chance to emphasize, that Change in individuals is important, but change in organizational uh, structures, policies um, uh, become equally important. Does that, I mean, does that mean as simply as approval processes and who is making the decisions and, and how are we, what's the re- review process of work that goes out the door? Or yes, I, you know. Um, speaking specifically, obviously, well, about advertising. There, there are 
you know, when you look at organizations, they're in interlocking systems, um, you know, of, of uh, uh, you know, policies and practices. Um, and when I do multicultural organizational development, I, you know, I list about 10 different conditions uh, that would make the company thrive in an environment like that. Uh, one of them is that uh, I look at their vision statement. And the vision statement is oftentimes, when you look at it, uh, looks very, um, what is it, inspiring, but it is cosmetic in nature. And that vision statement has to be operationalized in terms of actual practices. To simply say you value diversity and multiculturalism is not enough. It has to be translated into all facets of the organization. The other thing that really is important is that um, if you look at companies, what has the greatest power? Um, it's the performance appraisal systems. The performance appraisal systems are the gatekeepers that determine uh, which employees are going to rise and which employees are not. Uh, and if that performance appraisal system is culturally biased or culture-bound, uh, what will happen is that those people who are racially, culturally different, uh, who are not of the right gender, can be kept down, and you operate under the belief that we apply this policy equally to everyone, so it should be fair. But in essence, it has a differential outcome. So that equal treatment can be really biased or prejudicial treatment. Especially if you look at, the, according to your statistics and the ones that we know and that um, don't seem, seem right, that the yes. white males are the ones yeah. in the power of the majority yeah. of the time. So if you're, if you're trying to be multicultural and inclusive, but you have people who maybe have been yes. have certainly been privileged and, um, and are coming at it from only one perspective, then how can you really say you're doing it. That's right. Job. That's so, right. Fair. Your job uh, and, and what you're passionate about um, is so important. However, to your own admission, I, to what end is a hard discussion to have. Um, and I think you said it actually depressed you at some point, but uh, because it's a never ending sort of fight. <laughs> However, how do you know when you've made impact? How do you know when you've succeeded? When do you feel like the work that you're doing is actually um, you know, doing, having the impact that it should? You know, there are many goals to uh, what I do, especially with anti-bias uh, uh, training. One of the measures that I use has been um, the, the speed by which the concept of microaggressions and microinterventions uh, has taken off. Like I was saying, it's almost unheard of that um, that uh, idea or a concept that comes out in 2007, although it was much earlier when Chester Pierce uh, did it, uh, accumulates something like 20,000 studies. And this is beginning to create a lot of, especially on university uh, campuses, where microaggression initiatives are taking off about how to make a college campus 
be more inclusive and accepting of people who are uh, racially, culturally different. I'm not saying that I did it, but I'm encouraged by the fact that how many chief diversity officers are being hired by organizations and implementing uh, uh, programs, policies, and practices. Um, I also am heartened by the fact of the the number of emails that I receive from people of color who tell me how much they value um, uh, the type of work that I'm doing and that it now provides them a voice to describe what they are, what is happening to them, and that it reassures them that they're not crazy. Um, and then I guess I'm heartened by the fact of how many of my um, uh, graduate students are going out and becoming social justice um, uh, advocates. Um, in fact, I still publish with them. I still work with them, and and so forth. Even though they're now, um, you know, professors in their own right, I've been able to keep in contact with them, and I I do see it um, uh, happening here. Well. Um, what you're doing is amazing. It's needed. And um, hearing you speak earlier and talking to you now uh, gives me a lot to think about, but also to your point is um, gives you a sense of, hey, we're, we're on the right track, even though there's a lot of work to be done. Mm-hmm. So thank you very much for being thank here. Thank you. Um, and I hope we get to talk again soon. Okay. Thanks for listening to the Impact Interviews. Love what you heard or hate it. Send us an email and let us know at impact at martinagency.com. And if you love our theme music, I Crush the Mountainside by Space Bomb House Band, check them out at spacebombrecords.com.